Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I have been continuing to search for a global leader who I feel is really not only showing that he's heart-centered, but it's really coming across in the global work that he's doing in the supply chain and logistics. And I want to introduce you today to Radu Palomario. He is the director of the Asia Pacific of Elcock Global, and he's also the global head of supply chain and logistics practice. Radu has been working at the C-level and top management executive search with top Fortune 500 companies and local Asian conglomerates, particularly for manufacturing, logistics, transportation, supply chain, and e-commerce. He is a frequent speaker at his industry conferences across the region, and he's also a contributor on the latest technologies that are shaping supply chains, as well as HR trends and developments. He has his own podcast, which is always a joy for me to host another podcast host. And his podcast is called Leaders in the Supply Chain Podcast. He is consistently ranked among the top 10 global industry podcasts. And it's my pleasure to welcome Radu. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. It's nice to be on the other side of the mic when you do this in your own show to be a guest, isn't it? Could not agree more. And, uh, and I must say that the title of your podcast is, is intriguing. And I love it, actually, because I think we need more authenticity in the world. We need more people that keep it real. And keeping it real means an admittance of the fact that nobody's perfect. There's no perfection. It is an intangible reality. And it's how we handle the imperfection by being imperfect, which is where I think heart-centered leadership comes in. I want to tap into your brilliance, your leadership, and then we'll have a little bit of fun at the end and get to know you a little bit outside of your leadership role. So my first leadership question is, Share with our listeners, where did you gain your passion for wanting to lead within the logistic and supply chain sector globally? Like most things in my life, it happened fairly randomly. I think Steve Jobs had a memorable speech. He kind of said the analogy that looking backwards, you can connect the dots, but you cannot do it looking forward. So similarly to me, I don't know if I ever dreamt of becoming a headhunter or leader of a headhunting team and, and recruitment team, nor did I ever really think I will do a supply chain. No, in fairness, probably didn't know much about it when I started. But I'm a curious person by, by design. So I think what mattered a lot looking back was my whole journey. Let's say once I left school, I started psychology, then I did training, development, executive coaching, management consulting, then I ended up doing sales for some organizations. Then I set up my own company as well, which was in the realm of online. And then somehow or another, I ended up having a conversation with two of my first bosses in, in headhunting, and they were setting up the company to recruit at sea level for Asia. And I said, okay, it's interesting, let's do it. And then onwards, that happened about 10 years ago, right? It was a journey of me becoming very specialized in supply chain because you can only really be a good 
executive search if you're specialized, right? So I ended up being specialized, even if that wasn't the intent from the beginning. I ended up learning more and more and more. I ended up being, building a community, building a network. I ended up the team, all the team, you know, everything that we do is all of them are specialists and focused on supply chain. And now, you know, I can claim that this was a very logical step-by-step therapeutical uh, sequence. In actual fact, it happened. Like most things in life, it happened fairly randomly. But, you know, do I love it? Do I enjoy every second of it? Yes, I do. And I think maybe quite a few of us, right? I think, the, and I sometimes get invited to students to speak to them. How do you plan your career? And I'm not, I'm not sure I'm the best case study because I typically say I haven't planned much and I don't even know if you can plan much. I think the key is to keep yourself open. Yeah, of course, you know, you should have some sort of an, an idea, but in fairness, things change, your mindset changes. You know, it's one thing when you're 20, you think you want something, 25, you want something else, 30, you have a kid, you have you know other things maybe you want something else go with the flow to a certain extent right and then uh, hopefully figure out what you like also there should be an overlap with what you like and what makes money i think the pragmatism is perhaps i didn't have it it took me a while (laughs) to get that pragmatism as well but yeah back to your question you know sometimes i need to pinch myself because i do get to do what i love most i do get to do it with people that i really enjoy working with the team uh, that, that i'm leading I, I really really enjoy that because it gives me a sense of contribution of helping people of helping them grow and then also i see the impact of what our work does for the greater community right we are actually helping the asia pacific the global supply chain community interact get together place people in jobs give them better futures so that is a massive mission and vision for me that gives me purpose. It's interesting. I have to share with our listeners just to hear you answer that question. Your face lit up, your eyes are smiling and your passion. It's just unwavering that, like you said, you you look back, you connect the dots and I don't know who said it, but when we love what we do, it doesn't really feel like a job. Even if we own our business or we're an entrepreneur, I can see your curiosity by design has landed you in your passion and you're doing what you love. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. And who doesn't like to interview somebody that loves what they're doing? It's infectious. I love it. Okay. The second question has permanent residency on the show. I've asked over 170 leaders the same question. And I always love the first response that I get. And you love the name. So that's where the question derived from. Share with us what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. I'm not the type of person that will ever be a good accountant. Never. I cannot, right? You do that to me. <laughs> I'm going to suck at the job and it's going to kill me internally, right? So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm of the principle is that also, and I'm doing the same in the team, right? So I'll come back to you to answering your question, but I'm doing the same in the team where I'm trying to always utilize and get the best of the strength of the people in the team and ignore their weaknesses. Obviously, if the job requires it and they're really weak at that particular, change the job, change the scope, right? I mean, obviously, no, don't insist, but you know, we, we got to live with it, right? So I have plenty of imperfections. Actually, if I'm to be fair, I have very few things that I'm very good at. And I, and I think that's most of us probably I'm pretty good at, you know, sales, communication, some marketing skills, you know, ability to connect dots, you know, supply chain by and large, hopefully, right? I'm pretty good at relationships, but that's, you know, that's the sphere of where I'm, you know, and hopefully I'm, I have some strength around building teams and leading teams, but I'm so bad at a lot of things. I can make a huge list of things that I'm by far not perfect at, right? I mean, I'm bad, not let alone perfect, I'm bad at, right? So I mentioned detail orientation. I, you know, I probably am not the best listener at times, probably I should shut up more sometimes, right? 
probably I can be a little bit shocking or obnoxious at times. Probably maybe my sense of humor and my jokes would upset certain people. And if I shut up more, I would get more business. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on. But it's probably working progress. It's a journey of self-acceptance, right? That I'm at the point where, look, I mean, that's what I am. I mean, not to say that I, I should be a jerk and I just say, look, I'm a jerk. Well, so be it. Live with it, right? I know I'm not going to fundamentally change my, my, my core. And, and I can, I can fine tune it a little bit, but I'll accept that I'm imperfect in a lot of ways. I'll work on continuing to perfect what I'm quite good at because that adds the most value. And that's what I'll try to do also in my team. So I think, um, I think that's, that's what we would be all much better off if, well, one, of course, again, pragmatically, we should also make sure that what we are good at yields to some level of financial <laughs> return. I mean, fine, you're great at arts, but you don't make any living. It's okay as long as you're okay for yourself to live on a very low wage or whatever. So there should be that practicality as well, which sometimes I think we miss. And some, some of the people like, yeah, I'm doing what I love. Fine. But don't you also expect if you do what you love and you become a multimillionaire, unless that what you love happens to be extremely, extremely valued in the society. But to your question, yes, I think we should all focus on what we're good at. Ignore by and large or mostly ignore what we're not good at and try to, to make the best of, of our strength. Well, I can tell you I get the same reaction every time I, I ask that question. And it's like, Deb, how much time do we have? There's a long list. And it's embracing our imperfections. I think when we embrace our imperfections, it's the foundation to us really leading with courage and authenticity and being brave. And, and I love what you said, being at your level of leadership. There's a lot of things you don't like to do, which is why leaders surround themselves with people who know how to do those things and do them very well. I, I loved your answer. Okay, my third question you're known to be a fervent believer that people are the key to any business. And you've also talked about being challenged and, and having different assignments in your work. Share with us how you involve a multitude of channels and tools when you're searching for that right senior executive and you also are tasked with taking that business to another level. That's a craft and it's one that you just eloquently spoke about a little bit in your imperfection answer. So take us into that mindset of where you go, because this is your not perfection, but it's your brilliance in your wheelhouse. And I think what you shared with us that you really love to do. First and foremost, it does start with trying to get as good of an understanding of what the client wants, which in fairness, most of the times they don't know what they want, uh, or they're not extremely clear, and then usually not aligned even if they may think they are. So if you go to a C, to do a CEO search, usually you have the board of that company will task you to it. If you do a CEO, then it's the CEO, maybe the peer CFO, they need to. Usually there's different agendas, right? Depending on what they sit on and what committees they sit on, they have certain expectations that are not the same. <laughs> and, and also they might not all agree on the ideal profile of of the person. So the first step is to try to be a bit of a Sherlock Holmes inside the expectations of the key stakeholders for the role. And the second part is to try really well to get a sense of what's already in there in the organization, what happened to the last person, what was made, made them successful or not successful, where is the state of the company, where is it at, where do they want to go. So I think a good understanding of that is key. Now, the second part, and again, this will never be perfect. <laughs> this, will, this will be, I don't know, 90, 95%, whatever, if you really want to put a percentage to it. Then the, the, the part is 
obviously in when you actually will start the search is trying to find that fit now in in fairness again no matter how good how specialized in the field we are you can never know everybody i don't know whatever microsoft says find us our new ceo and then we are so good that the next day we have three people and we we already know them this doesn't happen it doesn't happen in or not to me if somebody says that they do that they must be amazing <laughs> so obviously there's a process of you know you ask for referrals you interview people you go word of mouth you go through the network you go through the different channels to get to those people that could fit the 90 95% idea of an impression that you got now magic or the true test is the stress test is obviously when you put them in front of the client right so that's that's where i see our job as a headhunters to give three to five very good options it's not our job to identify the number one and ultimately it's not us working on day in day out with that person right and it's also not us that i mean i can never claim that after no matter how in depth of a briefing i did with the company i would really truthfully understand each and every one detail of their culture right it's just not it's not possible so as long as we give three to five very good options then it's up to the client to choose and then as part of that process i think what is key for us to make this process successful is we need to make sure that that candidate one is is vetted the ref checks and and all the around the candidate is done well because senior level everybody most of the people know to interview well that does not mean <laughs> does not equal them being good leaders <laughs> and, and unfortunately it is what it is sometimes do people do make it to very senior levels mostly through political games or through, through different circumstances and contexts and not necessarily because they're great leaders truly people that have changed things that have transformed organizations that have empowered teams not really some of them you know made it because they were friends with god knows what <laughs> so you need to do a bit of digging that i think is definitely our job right to do that ref checks uh, correctly to make sure that layer of proofreading is is in place by and large that i think would make a successful search one try to get a good grasp of what's going on and what do the what does the company want two specialization network word of mouth getting all the tools to make sure that you access 95% of the pool of candidates and you get the 3 to 5 which based on our criteria and what the client said are the best and then the one or two that are closest and what the client wants just triple checking that their background is fine that ensures success to a degree of 90 plus percent again talking about imperfections can never there's no such thing as a silver bullet you you can always have surprises still that that would be a very well conducted and to the best percentage of positive outcome it's very interesting because some of your answers relate back to some of the things that you've already said being the Sherlock Holmes, it's you going back again to look at the sequencing and connect the dots. And you're not looking for imperfection. And I can honestly tell you, you're the first person to allude on the podcast that sometimes leaders do get to the top and not for the right reasons. And that comes out in so many conversations with HR. It comes out in executives from the director level right up to C-suite in performance reviews because it has that top-down trickle effect and it really does affect culture. So I'm just so happy that you shared and were so honest about the process and what you're seeing. And you do wear many hats. So I think I have to disagree that you're not paying attention to detail. I think it's in certain things, but certainly within your craft, you do it very well. And it sounds like a very sequential process that's time consuming, but you want to find that best candidate because of the level that you are recruiting for. It's fascinating. Okay. My last leadership question is, 
What is one bit of advice you could share with us globally? And I'm not going to mention the words. I'm just going to, I'm going to frame it as the current status of the globe with regard to supply chain and leadership. What's a nugget or a tip or an observation that you can share given the snapshot of where we are right now? It's such a mess. <laughs> such a mess that it's, it's probably hard to one. I'll start with a, with a funny exchange that I had with the, with the chief supply chain officer. And she was, I was asking her why she ended up in supply chain. And she said that, well, she loves supply chain because it's never boring. There's, there's always something, always a problem or a challenge to be fixed and so on. And, and that's what kept her in the profession. And I told her we sure would need some boring <laughs> right now, <laughs> especially in the last 12 to 24 months for context. And uh, now it's, it's fairly widely known. My daughter, nine, spoke about supply chain because her tablet at school was late. Somehow, whether the teacher told her or who told her, somebody told her it's because of supply chain issues. She came at home and said, well, my tablet is late because of supply chain. Supply chain has become a household name. It has been in mainstream media. It's been, you know, we've had ships that were stuck in canals. We've had all sorts of shortages. Now we have a global war. That will also have repercussions in global supply chains because we've seen air freight because planes are not flying over Ukraine anymore. So you need to make a detour. So that makes it delay more costs and so on. There's certain raw materials that goes into the phones or into the chips that are 60, 70, 80% from Ukraine or from Russia. That, by the way, now... The supplies are cut, right, because of the Western sanctions. So all of that, you know, just are piling up at the back of 18 months of COVID. So that's why I'm saying it's a mess. I guess the thing that comes to my mind as a principle is blessed are the flexible because they will never be bent out of shape. I don't know if winning is the right word, but keeping some, some element, because uh, it's, 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 it's impossible that you're going to win. You're going to lose. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. But the ones that will be more successful in this journey are the ones that will continuously manage to keep themselves flexible, adaptable, and change, change and shift gears as needed. That's supply chain, by and large. I mean, right now, there's no such thing as certainty. You know, uh, overnight, literally, you, you could end up your suppliers are disrupted. You can't buy from, from your sources anymore. You need to change and source new raw materials, right? If you're in, in a manufacturing or the route, like I told you, right? The, the plane not, no longer flies over Ukraine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you also you have capacity taken out, right? Because the planes from Russia are no, no longer the, <laughs> are no longer on the on, on, on the flights, right? So all of this happening at such a speed that you have to be able to be adaptive. So I think that is one key piece. It's not necessarily rocket science, but sure as hell is hard to do in practice. And it's also the layer of added complexity is most supply chain professionals are tired, have been, all of us are, but in particular in supply chain, we're dealing with shit for the last 12 to 24 months. It's been intense. It's been energy depleting. So I think all of that come into play as well, right? So it's also the element of how do you look after yourself? How do you look after your teams? How do you make sure that you maintain some level of mental sanity in all this mess that is extremely, extremely important and not at all easy to do? So I would boil it down to this too. One, I think, put on the mask of oxygen like they say on the airplanes, right? We may have not been on an airplane for a while, but put on the oxygen for yourself first and then for others, right? So make sure you take care of yourself, which for some people is not as easy as it seems. Take care of your teams and make sure that, you know, there's, there's some downtime for everybody. And secondly, keep yourself flexible because in fairness, I don't know, I, I, nobody can predict what next will happen even tomorrow. 
you know what, it's such a powerful response. And I, I wanted to be mindful and methodical of how I asked that question. And you've kind of taken it, opened the bandwidth even more than I had hoped you would. Blessed is the flexible openness and embracing imperfection. And I love that it's now a household name. And I love that your nine-year-old daughter made that link and was able to come home. And that was probably a fun conversation at the dinner table that just the the level of awareness at, at such a young age. And I do know the level of exhaustion and mental fatigue that, you know, this pandemic has taken on leaders. But I thank you for alluding to that, even for yourself. And one of my favorite phrases is, you know, we talk about common sense and purpose, and it may look easy for someone looking in from an alternative sector, but common sense doesn't always mean that we have the agility or the energy to make it common practice. So, you know, I love that you're on the other side of the world sharing with us. And that's what I love about the podcast is is we're borderless. We're all sharing the same difficulties, the same feelings, the same thoughts. So such a powerful response. Okay, I'm going to switch to what I call my rapid fab four, because we want to get to know you a little bit. We're going to let you take the leadership hat off now and have a little bit of fun. So whatever's sitting on the top of your brilliant mind, these are the non-thinking fun answers. Tell us something we don't know about you. My full-time job is sharing memes and jokes. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that because we're connected now. So you're going to have to share in some of that great content because laughter is truly the best medicine, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay, second question. Tell us a book. And again, whatever's on top of mind, what book has really changed your mindset or the trajectory of your life that you would share with our listeners? No rules, rules. It's a book written by the founder of Netflix, and it basically documents a few of the principles together with the Ninsiat, documents a few of the principles that made him and Netflix successful and how he created the whole culture at Netflix. Lots of gems there about leadership and keeping things simple. It's a book that I've recommended to some of my leaders to read, especially when you work in such a sector that's stringent with rules. It's a great read and a great recommendation. I'm intrigued that you like that book. That's interesting. Okay, third question. If you could have dinner with any leader in the world, they could be living or perhaps they've already passed away. Who would it be and what would the dinner conversation be? I would love to have dinner with my mother. So my mother passed away a few years ago. She was a nurse. My God, you know, I mean, with as time goes by, my God, do I appreciate, <laughs> do I appreciate all the things that she had done, both in her work, in the family, in raising us as her kids. So yeah, I think I would, I would really, I would really like to have that conversation, which I perhaps never had actually with my with my mother. I can tell you wholeheartedly that. Many leaders on the show have alluded to a parent or a grandparent for the exact same reason. And it's just another reason why I wanted to have you on the show, because I knew you were going to showcase who you are as a heart-centered leader. So before we close out the show with my last question, I just want to say that I love the work that you're doing. I love the heart-centeredness and imperfection that you bring to your sector. And I wish you all the best with your business, your podcast, and sharing a little bit of your heart today on my podcast and sharing time with me. I'm super grateful. It was lovely to meet you. My pleasure, Deb. 
So we're going to close out the show and I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and thinking, how can I help? You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.